Thank you, John. Let me add my welcome to John's. My name's Andy. Uh, I'm a minister here in the city doing church plant from St. Peter's uh, in a housing scheme here in Dundee called uh, Charleston. Um, If you have a Bible, please can you turn back to the passage that we read in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, Mary's song from verse 46 to 55. It's it's the 1st of December and we're officially allowed to be Christmassy now. Uh, So that's what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks um, in the morning, we're going to look at uh, some of the songs that were sung around the birth of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at them from Luke's gospel. We went through the entirety of Luke's gospel in Charleston. uh, And I just love this gospel. I think you find that with preachers. Whatever book they are preaching on is the best book in the Bible. Uh, And I just love Luke. I remember one of the things that struck me in reading the first through two chapters of Luke is just how musical it is. The birth of Jesus for Luke is a moment that is worthy of great praise and great joy and great singing. And so the aim, I think, really, over these next three Sundays is for us to sing and to sing with joy as we think about the arrival of Jesus. Let me just give you a bit of a feel for... um, Luke and, and how, why he wrote this gospel, just so we can get our bearings as to what's um, happening here. Actually, just turn back a page to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, this little opening uh, will help us understand why Luke wrote this gospel and what we are to get from it. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So if you're here, uh, maybe it's your first time in church and you you know about the Christmas story, you you need to understand this, that Luke doesn't begin his gospel by saying, once upon a time or long ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is not a fairy tale. This is carefully researched fact and history. And the purpose that that Luke gives as to why he wrote this was to give us certainty. Certainty about who Jesus is, certainty about what Jesus achieved. And you can see in verse 2 that he uses two sources as he writes this orderly account. Firstly, he interviewed eyewitnesses who were there. And secondly, he talks about servants of the words, that, uh, servants of the word, that is those who have taught the Old Testament of the Bible. So Luke wants us to be certain that Jesus really is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises that God gave to the nation of Israel. And he wants us to be certain that it's true, not, not just because it matches up with what you read of in the Old Testament, but because he's interviewed the eyewitnesses who were there. Certainty is Luke's aim, and certainty is what you need to have joy. 
So it's very likely in these early chapters of, God, of, of this gospel, one of the eyewitnesses that Luke would have interviewed as he wrote this would have been the mother of Je- Jesus, Mary. Mary is, is presented here as a wonderful example of faith and obedience. She is someone who takes God at his word. She was uh, chosen by God to be the woman who would give birth to the Lord Jesus. She was young. She was unmarried. She was a virgin. And now she miraculously, by God's Holy Spirit, is bearing the Son of God. This poor teenage girl has been told that she carries the hope of mankind in her womb. And if you go back to verse um, 39 to the passage that we had read, you see that that after this incident, after she's told this, she goes to uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. Uh, And interestingly, the, the first person to recognize that that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God has come, is not just Elizabeth, who calls this baby her Lord. Amazing affirmation of Jesus' divinity there. But it's not just her, it's the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who we're told in verse 44, leapt for joy. You can see just, even just when you read that, this, this has all the ring of an eyewitness testimony, doesn't it? And Elizabeth is astonished, not, not just at the fact that her baby's just done a leap for joy, which I'm sure would have felt weird, but she's also amazed at Mary's faith. And, and, and she says there at the end, blessed are you who have believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so Mary's response to this great confirmation from her cousin and her cousin's unborn child is to sing. And what we have in verse 46 to 55 is a copy of the song that Mary must have given to Luke as he wrote his orderly account for Theophilus. You'll notice as well, the reason we had that passage and uh, read to us from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel is that Mary's song is very similar to uh, that song that was sung by a woman called Hannah, another woman who had a miraculous birth at the time that Israel needed a king and Israel needed a savior. And I just wonder that, you know, Mary's just been told by the angel that, that all the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's word is, is, is about to happen to the baby that she is to give birth to. I wonder if she just went home and, and just poured through her scripture, her Old Testament uh, Bible, seeing how all the promises of God, how are these going to be fulfilled? And she must have come across this passage in 1 Samuel and thought, that's what's happening to me. This makes so much sense. This is what the God of the Bible is like. So what I want to do then is uh, look at Mary's song. This is, this is the first ever Christmas carol. Um, there's no holly and ivy or anything kind of sappy and sentimental like that. Uh, there's stuff about God smashing proud people. Um, but it is, in my opinion, one of the best Christmas carols that has ever been written. And I want us to be filled with the same sense of joy. Isn't there's, there's a feeling of, of real joy and expectation, isn't there, when you read that passage? I want us to be filled with that same sense of joy. I know that for many people, Christmas is great and very exciting, but for many others, it's a time of year that is a real struggle to get through, a time of pain that's tied up with all sorts of stuff that's been going on. 
And let me just say that when you really understand why Jesus came, you will always have a reason to sing at this time of year. It's so great, it's so magnificent, that even through pain and heartache, there is still a reason to sing. So, here's what the arrival of Jesus in human history tells us about God that gives us reason to sing. Three things that we see in Mary's carol. Firstly, he is a personal savior. Secondly, he is a powerful ruler. And finally, he is a faithful promise keeper. Firstly then, he's a personal savior. Uh, It begins very personal, doesn't it? Look at how she begins. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humblest state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so as she thinks on, on what the baby in her womb is about to achieve, uh, what, what he will do for her, Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My, my inner being, everything inside of me, when I, when I think about the fulfillment of these promises, it makes me want to make much of God. Yes, Elizabeth, I am blessed, but it's only because of the grace of God. He is great. That's the starting point. If you want to see how amazing Christmas is, you need to realize something essential. God is great, not us. He is the great one. And so Mary magnifies him. She makes much of him. And in the song that follows, it's it's just essentially a study of, of God's character. He is the God who sees her humble estate. He is the God who performs mighty deeds with his arm. He is the God who speaks great promises. A God who sees. A God who does. A God who speaks the God of the Bible. He's not some distant entity far away doing nothing. He's real, he's personal, he's involved, and he knows Mary. He sees her, and he sent Jesus to save her. You notice Mary says that about God? She doesn't call him, he is the Savior. She says, he is my Savior. God told Mary that her son would be called Jesus, and and the name Jesus uh, simply means that the Lord saves. That's what he will do. He will save us from our sins. He has come to save Mary. Mary is not sinless, as our Roman Catholic friends would teach. She is a sinner, and she needs a savior, like we all do. Because we're all sinners. And, and here he is. He, he has arrived. The Savior is here. This God has done great things for her. And it's not just great things in the sense that, that she is um, blessed, has the blessed privilege of, of being the mother of the Son of God. But it's great things in the sense that she knows that God cares for her and God has come to save her. See, who is Mary? In the eyes of the world, Mary Mary's a nobody, but not to God, not to the one who really matters. And there's just this feeling of overwhelming gratitude and unworthiness. 
you need to remember this song is the song of a poor teenage girl who has just encountered the amazing grace of God. She might have wondered whether anyone knew, whether anyone cared, and now she knows. God knows me. God understands. God has seen me. He has looked upon me, and he has done, and he will do great things for me. And that's true not just of Mary. That's the truth for all who follow Jesus. Because the message of the gospel is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. The Savior has come for you. God is mindful of you. He has sent Jesus to forgive you of all your sin. That is what we are celebrating at Christmas time. Jesus has come to rescue us, to bring us back to God. We need him because by ourselves we are, we are far from God. We are enemies of God. We're all messed up sinners here. And so if you're new to church today, don't, don't come in here and think everyone here seems to have it sorted. We don't. That's why we confess our sin together at the start. We're acknowledging that we don't have it sorted, that we are sinful, that we need a savior. We were in a hopeless situation that we could not rescue ourselves from. That's why Jesus was born. To do what we could not. To suffer and to take the punishment that our sin deserves so that forgiveness and everlasting life would be offered to us who don't deserve it. That's grace. That's why this God is, we, we say, he's good. He is so, so good. How he looked on us in our humble estate, wretched sinners that we are, finite, frail, mortal rebels, and he sent his beloved son to take our judgment so that we can be forgiven, adopted, loved, and accepted for all eternity. He has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so let me ask you, if you're here and you are a Christian, when was the last time you magnified or glorified the Lord? When did you last make much of Jesus in your soul? Not just like an outward display um, in the church, but deep within your soul, you made much of Jesus. Has he become stale Does his salvation produce indifference? If it does, then you have lost sight of what he has done for you. And so what do you do if that's you? Well, you do what Mary would have done. You do what they all do in the Bible. You come back to the Bible. We get into the Bibles and we preach the great truths of God's word to our souls. Think of what the psalmists do. Think of of a psalm like Psalm 103. It begins by him preaching to himself. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise him. It's almost like he's willing himself to, to, come on, let's praise God. And then he says, let me not forget his benefits. And then for the rest of the psalm, He just lists out the benefits of being a follower of this God. And the end of the psalm is just an explosion of wondrous praise. 
speak to your soul the great benefits of following Jesus. You'll see why we can sing. Even if you don't feel it, keep preaching it to your soul. He is Mary's saviour. He is my saviour. And Mary's carol shows us he is a personal saviour. But it's not just that. In verse 50 to 53, Mary surveys all that God has done in human history and realises our second point. He is a powerful ruler. And the power of God is seen by how he can flip everything on its head. I was going to call the second point um, a, a great reverser, but I don't know if reverser is a word. Um, but it's that kind of idea. This, like what you see there, that's what God's doing. He, he's taking something and he's flipping it around. He's doing the opposite. In fact, that's how the salvation of Jesus works. Jesus describes his salvation um, later on in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 18, verse 4, he says this, the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be brought down. That's a great summary for the, the whole of Luke's gospel, actually. The humble will be exalted and the exalted will be brought down. That is what the power of God does. That's what Mary starts to sing about in her song now. When, she, when she's reading her Bible, she sees that's how, how God operates. He, he just performs these radical reversals. And so it, it makes sense to her that God's son would be born to a poor teenage girl in an insignificant part of the world. That's not weird. Actually, when you understand that what God is like, that's exactly the kind of thing he would do. He would make much of those who people make little of. He delights in reversing fortunes. He sub- delights in subverting standards. Look at what she says. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. What does God do? He takes the proud, the rich, the arrogant, and he brings them down. But the humble, the poor, the hungry, he lifts them up. And so it makes sense that that God would show such amazing favor to this poor, humble teenage girl, Mary. It makes sense that Jesus would be born in a stable instead of a palace. That he would be a carpenter who washes his disciples' feet instead of a king who arrogantly lords his superiority. It makes sense that he would be crowned with thorns and, and not gold. He would be lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. Because God exalts the humble, but the proud he brings down. That's why Jesus is the most exalted king, because he is the most humble. Great kings, the great empires of the earth, he's brought them down. There's a, a famous poem that was written called uh, Ozymandias. It was hugely influential. It actually influenced the TV series Breaking Bad, if you've ever seen that, or the uh, comic book movie Watchmen. Um, but it's, all a, it's a poem, very short, all about the folly of human pride. And it's a poem about a statue that was found in the Egyptian desert, a statue of 
uh, Ramesses II. And at the base of the statue was inscribed these words, My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look at my works, ye mighty and despair. And the poem's quite funny because it's written on the base of a statue and all that's left of the statue is a foot surrounded by sand. There's a part of the scripture that says this, the kings of the earth earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his king. Let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles, they say. And then it goes on to say this, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The folly of human pride causes heaven to laugh. Ozymandias, king of kings. Because God always gets the last word. And ultimately, all pride is against him. It's saying to God, you are not the king. I am. I will make a name for myself. And you can do that in an obvious way, like like Ramesses did in terms of building that statue, or uh, like the candidates on The Apprentice do. Very obviously proud. Or you can do that in a more subtle way. Notice in verse 51, Mary sings about God scattering those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It's a contrast to her. who, In her inmost thoughts, she makes much of God. But those who are proud in their inmost thoughts make much of themselves. Put God as number one. Put themselves as number one, sorry, and not God. Who live a life without God. And you might think, well, that's, that's normal. The Bible would call that rebellion. And so if you think you're basically a good person, but you've not really given any thought to God, uh, and, and you've tried to live life on your own terms, you need to realize that you are not on God's side. He is the king. He is the creator. He made you for himself. And uh, he will bring you down eventually. Because he gets the last word. But the fact that God is into bringing about a great reversal is what the good news of Christmas is all about. Because here's the promise of the Lord Jesus. If you come to him humbly in repentance, then all your sin will be wiped away and he will exalt you. If you are aware of your brokenness before God, he restores you and he lifts you up. We deserve to be punished because all of us are proud sinners. And yet God in his mighty power reverses our fortunes whilst at the same time remaining just. He reverses it by letting Jesus take the punishment so that we could be lifted up out of our sin to the status of his children. And it's the proud and it's the arrogant that hate that. It's the proud and the arrogant that reject that. Those who think that I don't need a saviour. And that's what you see when you read through Luke's gospel. Go and read through Luke's gospel. It's the rich, it's the powerful, it's the religious who think that they can earn God's favor. They're the ones that hated Jesus. But it's the outcasts that came to him. It's the poor, it's the lepers, it's the tax collectors, it's the Samaritans, it's the sinners, it's the thieves, it's the sex workers. It's the least, the last, and the lost that come to Jesus, that are forgiven of all wrong, and that are exalted as residents of Christ's kingdom. 
And that's incredible. That radical reversal of, of fortunes. That changes you. When, when you really get that, when you're humbled by your sin and you realize that you deserve nothing and yet, and yet God has given you everything, it's the most incredible thing. It's like that quote from Lord of the Rings when um, Faramir turns to Sam and says, the praise of the praiseworthy is the highest reward. To have praise from him who is worthy of all praise. To be exalted by him who is supremely exalted. Especially when we deserve nothing but his wrath. That is the highest reward you will ever face in life. Divine rescue is about a divine reversal. That's why verse 53, God has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. I don't think Mary's, um, I think this is poetry. I don't think she's talking literally about hungry people being fed, but it's like the hungry soul being filled with good things. There's a substance and a contentment in God that cannot be found anywhere else because he is so good. And if you are full of yourself, in the end, you'll just be left empty. And Christmas can feel like a very empty time of year. So we need the goodness of this God to fill our souls. Here is a God whose powerful rule just flips everything on its head. So he's a personal savior. He's a powerful ruler. Finally, we see uh, in this song, he's a faithful promise keeper. That's what the arrival of Jesus shows us. Look at what Mary says, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knows that that what is happening is the fulfillment of thousands of years of promise. It was God who who spoke to uh, this man Abraham thousands of years before Mary sang this song. And he said to Abraham that from him would come a nation that would bless all the nations of the world. And it was uh, from Abraham came the nation of Israel. And God promised them that this blessing would come in the form of a king who would reign forever, who would establish the kingdom of God, a king born of a virgin who would save the world from their sins. And as Mary sings, she's realizing that all these promises, promises, if you read through the scripture, there were times where it seemed this would never happen. All these promises are now coming to pass. That's a good way of uh, dividing the Bible rather than Old Testament and New Testament. Think of it as promises made. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is promises kept, promises fulfilled. All these promises have finally reached their crescendo in the baby that is in her womb. And so Christmas is the certainty. Remember, that's what Luke wants us to have. Christmas is the certainty for us that God always, always, always does what he says. So let me say, if you are here as a Christian 
You need to see how amazing it is that God keeps his promises. If you're here struggling with sin and you feel slightly ashamed to be here uh, because of what you've been doing, remember his promise. The promise that although our sin is great, his mercy is new every morning. The promise he gives that all who come to him are justified. The promise that the devil has no hold on you. Don't trust in what you feel, trust in what he says. And use the certainty of that promise to to give you joy so you want to fight against sin. If you're here and you're just beaten down with life, look to the promise of Jesus. The promise that he will not forsake or abandon you. Look to the promise of how he can use all the messed up stuff in our lives for a greater good that we might never see. He is big into the business of reversal. Let the promise of the power of his word encourage you to share his word with others. Let the promise of his defeat of death give you hope and certainty now in life. Read the Bible and just ask yourself, if you're doubting or despairing, read the Bible and ask yourself this question. Has any of the promises that God made failed? Has his mercy ever ceased and stopped? That's why he gives us thousands of years of history of Israel so that we can see his promises never failed, his mercy never ceased. Brothers and sisters, what great reason we have to sing. Christmas reminds us that God always keeps his promises. It's the same God who reverses our fortunes, the same God who we can say, he is my savior. He has done great things for me. Why don't I pray? And then we'll sing. Father, thank you that that's true. The Savior has come and he has rescued us from our sin. We don't deserve anything. And yet you looked on our humble estate. You looked on us in our sin and you rescued us from that sin. Father, all we bring to the table is our sin. And yet you've forgiven us of it all. You've you've not just wiped the slate clean Lord you've you've made us your children we don't deserve that we we deserve only judgment and yet you've lifted us up and Father I pray you'd help us to see the amazing grace of God so that we um, can understand why we have great reason to sing Father all that troubles and avails us in this life all that we struggle with it's all temporary and yet what you have done for us is eternal Pride and arrogance is temporary. And yet the grace of the Lord Jesus and the mercy of God will continue for age to age and for all eternity. And so help us to see and understand why it was that Mary sang this song and why it is that we can sing songs of thankfulness and praise to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to um, finish by singing. Um, We're going to sing Oh for a Thousand Tongues. Um, So let's stand uh, as the guys begin and we'll sing this song.